0: Howdy, welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. I am your host, Jake McAtee. This week, you will have the pleasure of hearing Canon's editorial director, Brian Cole, talk with me about my brand new guide in the Canon Classic series on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. For those of you who do not know, Canon Press has a line of classic literature called the canon classic series it presents the most definitive works of western literature in a colorful well-crafted and affordable way unlike many other thrift editions our classics are printed on a thicker text stock and feature individualized and feature individualized designs that prioritize readability by means of better margins characters per line font trim size etc Each book's materials and layout combine to make the classics a simple and striking addition to classrooms and homes, ideal for introducing the best of literary culture and human experience to the next generation. If you've ever tried to pick up a classic and it just felt like walking uphill, you've got to get one of Canon Press's Canon Classics with a guide to help you get through that classic. If I don't say so myself, I highly recommend my guide on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So without further ado, here's me and Brian talking about Shelley's monster, Guilt. Now welcoming on, editorial director of much fame, the majority commenter on the Canon Facebook. (laughs) What? Brian David Cole. Welcome to the show, dude. Thanks for coming back on for uh, what I think is a a great episode.
1: Yeah, we're discussing your worldview guide, right? <clears throat>
0: well, we're talking about the classics, canon classics today. Of which you are the newest, mm-hmm. most esteemed author. So we have a, a whole line we call the canon classics. Great covers. Yes. Every classic. We're talking about literature classics.
1: Right, so the greatest books of the Western canon.
0: And and we thought we could have a better cover. We could put uh, redacted name covers on them.
1: <laughs> yeah, we wanted to make them look awesome, wanted them to be easy to read, and wanted them to be affordable. So right. And then, of course, we decided, while we're at it, why don't we add good commentary from Christian... Uh, authors and writers and anybody who appreciates literature. And so that's what you got when you buy a Canon Classics Worldview Edition.
0: So you buy a Canon Classic Worldview Edition and on the inside it'll come with a little guide and then there's the rest of the classic.
1: Right, yeah, so the introduction uh, starts kind of with some basic overview stuff to get you, help you get your bearings on this uh, new classic because they are a little intimidating. Um, you don't just pick up Anna Karenina and think I'm, I'm just going to nail this first try without effort. But with the worldview guide, they tell you the characters, they tell you some basic stuff about what's going to happen, and then the meat of the guide is when you get into a Christian sort of appreciation of the novel and its themes and why it's great, basically.
0: Right. Um, so on the point about it being difficult. Yeah. Why did we think this was worth starting like a, a whole brand line?
1: Well, the idea of education is you want to feed your kids the best stuff for their minds. And so the best of Western literature is not always something you can pick up and instantly appreciate. You know, a graphic novel or a comic book might be easy to pick up, but it's not going to have lasting value. So we wanted to, to to make it easier for people to understand why these classics are renowned over the past millennia. Some some of these more than two millennia of human history, understanding what's great about it and what people should how people can understand it. Well, critique critique appreciate conquer. I think that's our our sub our tagline for the whole series. So that's kind of our goal.
0: What I enjoy about them is they are deemed classics before we ever got there.
1: Oh yeah. These are yeah. obviously
0: put in the realm of these had a particular level of impact. Right. And therefore you should get to know that.
1: Yeah. So for good or ill, The Scarlet Letter. Is extremely famous and has colored people's views of Puritans mostly for ill for the past <laughs> for the past. Ba- as far as optics, I can't see can't see a win for the Puritans out of the Scarlet Letter. But yeah, yeah. yeah so with that guide, yeah, uh, it's something that affects how we think about Puritans and think about our religious fathers in our country. And at the same time, you know, it's a classic. But at the same time. Not everyone has read it, or if you read it, you might think, wow, that was kind of a, a dark sort of read without a lot of redemption. Right. And,
0: and there's value in the sense of even if you don't like it at the end of the book, there's value of having read it, considered mm-hmm. its yeah. place, considered like what do I think about that and how yeah. do
1: I? It's, it's like learning another language. So as soon as you have the character of Hester Prynne, added into your intellectual emotional vocabulary you all of a sudden kind of see so so Hester Prynne is one of those super sad characters in literature that um uh many people want to see themselves as a Hester Prynne who's been shunned by society for a mistake they made and can never get it back but society turns out to be worse than themselves And as soon as you see a Hester print in real life, all of a sudden you know them better almost than they know themselves. And that's a really negative way of looking at it, but you can do it with positive characters as well. I feel
0: like, too... Once you get to know Nathaniel Hawthorne, you're like, oh, I know, you know.
1: (laughs) That's probably a better way of saying it, because as soon as someone, everyone, every conversation you have with them is is they're trying to tell about a Hester Prynne moment in their own life or in other people's lives, you start to it starts to become something that well, I actually saw this better written in you know 200 pages by Nathaniel Hawthorne, and then there's obviously the positive ones as well, so. Um, you know, one thing we talked around the office with Treasure Island, uh, Jim Hawkins, the boy character there and the main character in the story is somebody that you want your kid to emulate pretty much step for step all the way through to shooting a pirate. And, uh, so that's cool. It just, it just feeds you and gives you the prototypes, the stereotypes for being able to, um, think about adventure, think about goodness, badness, Yeah, you know? Growing that
0: imaginative capacity beyond what you experience in your right. day-to-day life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the chances of my sons getting to fight a pirate are slim, although I wouldn't put it past a few of them.
0: So, I was going to say, dark days, Brian, <laughs> dark days.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, they were just asking me last week if pirates still exist, and I said, well, you know what? They do, actually. Um, those guys who motorboat out to the tankers, they're pirates. So, you know. He might get a chance. My right. sons might get a chance. But but at least if they do meet one, there'll be metaphorical pirates that they will be <laughs> able to fight. <find.
0: laughs> um, okay, so one reason I also wanted you in because as you mentioned, you just you as the editorial director just edited my guide. Yes. On uh Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah. But before we get too crazy. Oh, I was about to get real. <clears throat> it should excited. be noted that Brian is also an author, <laughs> featured in the canon classics, uh, yeah, via Bill's
1: Macbeth. Yes, William Shakespeare, the Scottish play, the darkest of his tragedies. Um, so yeah, we we, uh, especially when I started editing the series of the Worldview Guides, I thought, you know what, I really need to work through one of these on my own and kind of figure out how much of uh, you know what I want out of each section, and the best way for me to do that was to actually write a guide. To, well, I picked a short one to get it done as quickly as possible. But yeah, yeah. Well, Jacob, you should you should tell us a bit about uh, Frankenstein. How how did you find the process of assimilating a classic and reducing it to six thousand words? Um. Yep. So through various uh, events, Frankenstein
0: happened to become in my lap.
1: Yeah. We wanted Jake to write it. <laughs> um,
0: and uh, I had read it one time mm-hmm. and I was I didn't really I didn't even know what to do with Frankenstein.
1: Right. It so, was it actually needed a guide. So it needed a guide. Yeah.
0: Um it should be noted I prior to having read it, it was kind of a surprise to me. Frankenstein is not at all the cultural
1: phenomena that we receive. Yeah, so probably most people are thinking of kind of what what is it? Is it Boris Karloff in the black and white kind I of? I think so. Yeah, wandering toward you. people yeah. with the bolts yeah, in his neck. Yeah, bolts in his neck. Yeah, lightning in the sky. Uh, Igor, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, Does Igor make an appearance in Frankenstein? No, no Igor. No, Igor. How about Boris Karloff?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sorry. and the uh, monster. He's very classical, very learned. He's very he he reads like sad sad guy classical books.
1: Okay. So he's not he's not this sort of demonic, you know. Do is it wrong for people to connect like Count Dracula with Frankenstein?
0: Not necessarily.
1: Okay. Not necessarily. They're but, a
0: lot close but in terms of cultural phenomena both I think are very different than what their texts their source texts.
1: Gotcha. So with I guess the movie <clears throat> versions, we shouldn't be associating. If so if you were going to tell someone well, I guess there's kind of like what most people think Frankenstein is, is what we just talked about, the kind of black and white movie style horror. Is the book, what, what, what context was this written in?
0: Uh, so, actually, my favorite part about writing this was the cultural context of its basically the, the main characters of its narrative of the Frankenstein being written narrative. So, mm-hmm. Mary Shelley married to Percy Bysshe Shelley. Percy mm-hmm. Bish, which is a great name. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, underused.
0: Underused. He was a famous poet. Empires of Dirt actually features a Percy Bish show. Oh, mean, yeah,
1: Ozymandias, he's yes. the, the poet, one of the, <clears throat> one of the big three or four romantic poets.
0: Yeah, yeah, top three for sure. So mm-hmm. he had his own literary career in his own right that mm-hmm. well went well beyond his, like, 20-some-odd years mm-hmm. and then drowned in a Spanish sea, which is also sort of romantic. <laughs> um, so, the cast of characters around her, her parents, her mom was, uh, her mom died 11 days after she
1: was born. Very famous. Oh, man. What time, what time period are we talking about here? Oh, Mary, uh, Frankenstein was published in 1818, 18, 18, I 18, think. 1818. Okay. So, right after. Maybe a little sooner. Oh, yeah. You were telling me uh, after the rev- revolutions, kind of. Yeah. Okay. So, she was 16. Okay. So, she was born May right after. I actually about...
0: back it up a little bit because I think she was born in 1790 something.
1: Okay, gotcha. So, um, so she's born right after the American Revolution, right after yes. the French Revolution. Yep, yep, <clears throat> okay. which her
0: parents contributed a lot to, and Cont- I think
1: contributed so. How so?
0: Mary Wollstonecraft is Mary Shelley's mother. Mm-hmm. Mary Wollstonecraft is seen as maybe the first feminist oh. out that in the game. A dubious um, distinction, a dubious <laughs> distinction. She, uh, she was just right in the middle of the French Revolution. She steered clear of any beheadings. Okay, but she was for she,
1: she was for it, though. She was very for it. Very for it, but not the beheadings part. Or Correct. Or didn't, didn't want it? Okay.
0: So anybody in and around uh, like conser- like conservative classical texts will remember Edmund Burke's Reflections on the Revolution. She went toe-to-toe with Edmund Burke at the time. She published, I uh, forget the book,
1: Mm-hmm. Vindication. Vindication.
0: of the rights of man or yeah, something yeah. like that. Um I know all she, this stuff from your guide. Now, she so. <laughs> she published anonymously um so that it would be read. And uh so she was right in the thick of it. She was writing academic treatises about why it was good. Um there's there's a great distinction between the American Revolution French Revolution. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot on Twitter lately defending the French Revolution. As
1: a... Okay. Yikes. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like they're doing what Mary Wollstonecraft did. The idea that in re- the idea of revolution is fantastic and everybody should. Yeah. Re- what's the word? Rebel. Right. But then when it comes down to it, you see how awful and how much blood there is.
0: You're right. Which she yeah. like made sure she was way out of town. So she threw all the logs on the fire.
1: And then when the fire got very hot, she was... Oh, I'm sorry. I can't put it out. She was way <laughs> out of town by then. Back in England, probably. Yes. Yeah, so... Um, okay, so that's, that's Mary Shelley's mom. That's Mary Shelley's mom. Is her, is her dad in the picture at all? Godwin, uh,
0: William Godwin, who wrote a lot of anarchical texts, a lot that rhymed with uh, Mary's mom. They had a sort of a literary philosophy who's who click a very mm. a a friend group that, of revolutionaries um, okay. which interesting enough featured people like Thomas Paine and oh, Thomas American Jefferson friends. right who were who would not have been down with the killings and everything else but if they had leanings they might have been a little bit on board with the french revolution mm-hmm. so it featured them also later on funny enough Aaron
1: Burr who was part of like oh, the famous shootout? Okay, I only know of him from the Hamilton musical, but <laughs> yeah, he fell on
0: hard times and lived with Godwin for a bit. Oh, weird. Um, so it's a very interesting time of like the who's who, cross Atlantic
1: revolutionary, and
0: everybody's kind of like hangs out and okay. everybody knows each other. Um, okay, gotcha.
1: So that's that's the parents. Those are the parents, and then and then one thing I was shocked at is how much death there was. Associated like personal family death associated with her, can you kind of run through the litany of death death <laughs> connected with um, you know, <laughs> previous to the writing of Frankenstein I mean it has to and 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 I guess following it too, I guess. so
0: it kind of gets into my thesis, which may or may not be fair, depending on how you want to, um mm-hmm.
1: it's a kind of yeah, I liked it you your worldview guide took a an ambitious uh, read on the classic and wanted to say, hey let's Let's play kind of while I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah.
0: Yep. So, one thing that's interesting about Mary Shelley's life is not interesting, maybe it's just plain sad. She had a very sad, Mm -hmm. very sad life. Um, So, her mom died 11 days after she was born, Mm -hmm. and her father remarried. She had one sister from her mom's previous relationship,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and then she added a sister in the remarriage. And that, uh, the youngest one, Claire, will play a major role later in her life. Mm-hmm. Um that's the one from the remarriage. Mm-hmm. Um Fanny, her oldest sister from a diff- from her mother's different marriage, An affair she- with a soldier, I think you said. Yeah, an affair with a soldier, <laughs> yeah. so Mary Wollstonecraft, she had her own wiles.
1: Um she lived according to her principles of very separate, much so zero but
0: principles. What's fascinating about Mary Wollstonecraft as much as she wanted moral, Revolution was not about marriage. She was very bitter at this soldier that she had a kid with who wouldn't marry her. Oof. And who let her on and, and everything else. And she tried to kill herself several times. Oh, um, no. So maybe as a point of thematic point, one thing that's very interesting about all of these characters is that they are warring against certain moral norms, such mm-hmm. as marriage or... yeah. Other things like that, they are warring against it, and the world like won't allow them to.
1: Nature, has, nature, nature will not permit
0: yeah. them. What's, <clears throat> what's that
1: quote? Doug's always making this quote of, that Horace has. You know, you can drive, you can drive nature out with a pitchfork, but she's gonna keep coming back in. <laughs> right,
0: right. That's it. I mean, the the world has a very has a particular
1: texture, mm-hmm.
0: and to run your hand up against it the wrong way will, yeah. it just won't do that. Yeah, it's like well, petting
1: sharks. You can pet the shark one way, you go the other way, sandpaper. Correct. So, yeah. uh, okay, well, wait, hold on. Before we go into trash, like, I guess it could sound like we're just trashing her life, <laughs> but uh, I think it's important. Like, it I think is it's important. It's it's important, important to trash her up. It's, yeah. it's so, important like, to report her how. Did, yeah, so how did they view humans? I think maybe that's a good place. Like, Percy Percy Shelley, yep. what did he think about people in like humanity? Like, what did he want for humanity?
0: Uh, yeah, so in general, the Romantic era was one in which Enlightenment happened, Mm -hmm. where big time, like, we're throwing off the cosmos of anything really- Tradition. Yeah, tradition. Morality. A lot of spiritual stuff goes with that, too, so they're very hard-nosed, um, sort of modern uh, materialists. Yeah. Um, one reaction to that was the Romantic era. Which was like, well, hey, now, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things about the world that we can't account for, right? That's not under a microscope, right? Transcendental
1: so, sort yes. of spirituality. We and, don't know what it is. It's clearly not Christianity, but it's an
0: emotionalism, yeah. A sort of like, yeah, my feelings dictate everything. The sublime, like passion about the sublime. Mm-hmm. Weird, weird takes on nature,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. um, and how it makes me feel. Nature like its as affects, a goddess, yeah, yeah, and her. Her, yeah. And her effect on me and mm-hmm. her, her effect. So, um, they're P- Percy and Mary are both a part of the response, a weird response to
1: the materialism of enlightenment. Of the enlightenment. Gotcha. Which
0: we have a lot. We could say a lot about that. Right. You know, but we're not hard, hard nosed materialists.
1: Right. But, uh,
0: so this is more of like a secular pushback against a secular problem. Problem. Yeah. So,
1: um, so they're 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 coming into it saying humanity can be great and extremely noble and beautiful and as when we unlock our spiritual potential and look at the transcendental world we that's how humanity becomes yes so fantastic.
0: They loved Rousseau.
1: Okay. Yeah. They the, were big the, time the, Rousseau. The noble savage and noble savage. Primitivism. Um,
0: and basically, Rousseau's opening line. Um, to which work, I forgot, is that man is free but everywhere in chains. So essentially, man in the state of nature, man just as he is, is the best.
1: Got it. And best civilization scenario, is just chains. The
0: minute you walk into civilization, that's the original sin. Because mm-hmm. it's there that all of a sudden you begin to envy your neighbor or you you mm-hmm. you know, you start to get in these clashes with other people or mm-hmm. um, society you makes— You want stuff. So, yeah. And there's class distinctions, and all of a sudden, yeah. the way the world works, it's not all even, and therefore society is part of that um, part of that evil. so essentially for for them, especially for Percy, he's thinking um, the way out of like class warfare and the way out of humans being tied down to traditions such as marriage is ultimate freedom will get you past that. so essentially, you following your feeling, you following- Your desire. Your desire in the moment is ultimate freedom and anything against that is like- Slavery. Chafing against who you are, who you really are.
1: Yeah. Okay, so that's Percy's idea and you connected that. We, we, we probably don't need to get into this too much, but the idea, he had a specific poem, right? About this kind of?
0: Yes, so he wrote a poem. One of the poems that he did write
1: was called- Prometheus Unbound, right? Prometheus Unbound. Yeah. One of the uh, great Greek tragedies is Prometheus goes to Mount Olympus, steals fire for mankind against Zeus's instruction, and basically benefits people's lives hugely. But with fire. Z- with fire, because yeah. it allows civilization, and before that, mankind was huddling in caves. And Zeus is extremely angry, chains Prometheus to a rock, and uh, eagle assigns an eagle to eat out his liver every day, which then regrows. Period. That's Pretty that's that's, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. that's the right, end. That's the
0: tragedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so he writes Prometheus
1: Unbound. Promethe. Okay, so Percy Bysshe Shelley writes a poem called Prometheus Unbound. Yeah,
0: where Hercules helps him. Okay.
1: Get, <laughs> break the Her- chains. Hercules
0: breaks him out. Okay. And they both get. They all get to enjoy the fire that he stole.
1: The freedom from the gods. No more Zeus putting everybody down. Right. No more Essentially, laws. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. The wise, rationalist human being kind of deciding what every, you know, Prometheus being a titan kind of gets to decide his own fate. Right. Okay.
0: Um, and so there's tons of vaulted bros about what all we can do now that we know the secrets of nature.
1: And there's no more hierarchy and no more rules. Yes. So we're just free to ultimate freedom. Follow our passion.
0: Um, yep. So yeah. he wrote that. And so that that kind of sums it up great. What's funny is he wrote it to his wife. He dedicated it to his then wife,
1: Harriet. Oops, not Mary Shelley. Harriet Shelley.
0: <laughs> Harriet
1: Shelley. Um,
0: and then... He left her. He did leave her. <laughs> For Mary Shelley. For Mary Shelley. He was a William Godwin fanboy. Mm-hmm. Big time. Loved the writings of William Godwin. And and basically asked if he could be his... Uh, like, if he could just shadow his whole life. And what's funny is William Godwin would get that stuff all the time. Um, but Percy kind of led on that like he has a lot of money
1: oh, oh. so different from the other revolutionary. <laughs> <Very laughs> different
0: from the other fanboys and so they basically came into a bond where percy would pay the bills if he could come in so did that work sort of out learned, did learned, that work out ideally him. it depends on who you ask if you asked william godwin it did not work out because by the end of it well not not even the end of it the end of it was percy drowning but it didn't take very long before um Percy ran off with his 16-year-old daughter oh. and Claire who was just a bit younger. So, Ugh,
1: both daughters. Two daughters, but that's not bad because there are no rules.
0: Right, so it's it is very funny. It's so being he put, disliked it. Being put in the yeah, between the rock and the hard place of like a father having fatherly feelings about his 16-year-old daughter running off with a married man. With a married man. <laughs> <laughs> and then also Which two rocks, I feel like, of, yep, you can read whatever you, you could read William Godwin's take on marriage.
1: Yeah, you could have strolled down to the closest bookshop. The local bookstore
0: and learned that, like, he doesn't care about any of that stuff until it's, you know, his own own daughter. His own daughter. So, um, and then additionally, if he made too much of a stink, Godwin, or sorry, Bish wouldn't pay for his bills. Yeah. So tough. <laughs> you
1: hate You're to right see it, it. To see pinched it. a little um, tight. And so oh, naturally, that's super sad, though. Sick, yeah. Very sad. Very sad. And, and wasn't there like more death at this point? Didn't uh, Percy's, Percy's. So,
0: yeah, right quickly after Harriet, re- you know, soon realized mm-hmm. her husband was, uh, despite getting poems mm-hmm. dedicated to her, she realized my husband is out on the run. Not mm-hmm. on the run. They're just traveling Europe. Yeah. Um, with a 16 year old and a slightly younger. Yeah, sister. She eventually killed herself. Harriet did. Okay, um, but I
1: thought someone else killed himself too. No, not yet. So, not yet. oh, not yet. Okay.
0: Basically, before they had left, Mary and Percy uh, had sex on her dead mother's grave. Oh, no, that that was sort of the uh, the first uh, their, their, their first, first time. the start of their relationship. The start of their first rela- yeah, first relationship, and um, she got pregnant. And it wasn't long after they had left that that kid did not make it. Oh,
1: sad. So, so she had a miscarriage. She had a miscarriage. Okay.
0: And then Harriet died. Uh, Harriet killed Percy's herself. Percy's
1: wife killed herself.
0: It wasn't long. So essentially they leave in that summer they go to mm-hmm. um, a villa and are met there by Lord Byron. Mm-hmm. Oh. Big time romantic poet.
1: Bad and, boy. And, super, and, super bad boy.
0: He's very funny, yeah. And then also John Polidori, which connects... The and Dracula. He, oh, the, okay, because he's the Dra- first He's the first vampire. He guy. wrote
1: the Vampires something. Yes. Yeah, so story. he
0: that is which is who Bram Stoker got Dracula.
1: From, from. about so, that would have been eighty years later. Yes. Okay. So this Okay. So alright, we uh, lest we lose everybody in the weeds. I know. Yeah. This it seems important because They have, the the romantics thought that mankind was great and awesome and all we needed is to throw off all of our customs and we would get back to that freeness like Prometheus. Right. Perseus or Percy Bish writes a poem, Prometheus Unbound, talking about how great that would be. Yeah. But then he runs off with Mary Shelley, the soon to be author of Frankenstein, and we start to see their life, lots of bad stuff happening along with their life. They head to this villa. And that's where we are right now in the story. What happens at this villa?
0: So it's, it's classic. Uh, I think it's hilarious, like, given the, the kind of scary story thing that we all do mm-hmm. with friends at a sleepover or camp. Yeah. Get around a fire, and you just take turns telling scary stories to mm-hmm. freak each other out. Yeah. Um, they do that. Okay. They tell ghost stories. They tell ghost stories. Um, this is where Frankenstein was born. Um, and this
1: was Mary Shelley's contribution. Mary Shelley's contribution to
0: that was uh, Frankenstein. So it obviously wow. took her longer than...
1: They left the villa and she was she had begun working on it. So Man, so 16-year-old. I wish I could get that much out of a ghost story.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, highly classic. educated, though. And yeah. Percy
1: was educating
0: her, too. Mm-hmm. It wasn't all just uh, fun and games. Yeah. So what's funny is uh, one thing about Lord Byron, real quick, is that uh, there's this great... I forget which diary it's in but they talk about um it, it should be noted up front that this was a very uh, incestuous crew so mm-hmm. one of the reasons lord byron was even there was on the promise of incest like of an incestuous time mm. uh, so it's a it's a highly sexualized yeah villa trip mm. this was less than it was less than like a silly campfire right situation um but what's so funny somebody who was so sexually warring against the times mm-hmm. Apparently, Lord Byron had gotten wind that uh, the waltz was being done in public and Mm. was just
1: furious. Shocked about a waltz, huh?
0: Furious that, like, men and women would be touching in a public, like, public (laughs) manner. So
1: hilariously. Well, I mean that, you know. Inconsistent. Okay. And, and, uh. I mean the waltz.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. We would all think it's just like, (laughs) I mean, we would all think you'd have to do it in, like, a wig. Yeah. To do the waltz correctly, but at the time lord byron was like this is essentially the end of civilization this, if we're just going to like lord byron would draw a straight line from the waltz in public to twerking you know what i mean like
1: he would just be like this is
0: this is what you get while he te- you know tears down moral the moral the world stuff
1: that actually matters yes yeah.
0: <laughs> to his own
1: oh boy uh, okay well vessel. this this whole Mm, convoluted situation. So I'll tell you, yeah, there connects. is a reason. Yeah. There
0: is a reason. I think at this point, like Tolkien would be very upset with mm-hmm. this much, you know, life of the author going right. into my reading of the book. So I'll just say up front, I read the book and I just wasn't sure what I was supposed to do with a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Like I remember we had a conversation, I think in Ohio at a GHC mm-hmm. of just like, I don't even know, I don't know what Mary wants me to think. Yeah, the usual hot takes are this is mm-hmm. sort of the ra- radicalization of the lonely or of the other. Yeah, of minorities. Okay. So instead, we ought to have
1: treated the monster
0: with, with hospitality.
1: Respect. So every time we treat somebody as non-human, they we're... are radicalized unto okay. like bad things. Sounds like a really intersectional take it's on Frankenstein, really, it's... which is very anachronistic. Yes, Like two hundred years too, too early. A, little,
0: a little too early. <laughs> The most recent annotated version has Guillermo del Toro.
1: Oh, he is the director of uh, Labyrinth well, and Hellboy. Hellboy, monster films, tons of monster films, right?
0: Uh, yeah. The most recent one was The Shape of Water, which Shit. is, yeah. you know,
1: icky, icky. Yep, and it has to do with monsters right. and the other and yeah, basically Guillermo. And how there are no boundaries between yes. us and the others. Yep,
0: Guillermo writes. Del Toro. Yeah. Yes, he writes that. Uh, this was his reading. Frankenstein was his um.
1: Road to Damascus moment? Yes.
0: And just realizing how monsters are not as monstrous as we think. Usually society is more monstrous than the monster. Anyway.
1: OK, we're talking about a dead body assembled on tables. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So That murders people.
0: Right. So okay. we're clear. <laughs> I quote Guillermo in my
1: guide and say this is sort of the standard view. So at this time, they clearly were feeling fatherless on a number of levels. Right. The, the subtitle is called. Oh, here we go. Drum roll. What's, how did you how did you unlock this treasure box? <laughs> the subtitle is called the modern Prometheus:
0: the modern Prometheus. So
1: Frankenstein, the modern Prometheus, the modern
0: Prometheus, and as you mentioned before, her husband Percy had a poem written called
1: Prometheus Unbound. Prometheus Unbound. Okay. So right. so she's a romantic. Does she have the same take as her husband?
0: No, doesn't seem so. Ah. So that's so that's where my guide kicks off. Show Percy's take on Prometheus, and then we fall with his wife's um so that one w- was something of my own, and then I took uh e michael Jones's Monsters of the Id, who mm-hmm. uh I think is is super super i I loved that book, so mm-hmm. I think it's a great take, and I think there's plenty of evidence to show like with the Prometheus connection that um the monster is is uh, nature's retribution. Okay. So,
1: so Victor. So, rather than humanity finishing its its escape from tradition and waltzing off yep. into the ether, yep, humanity meets yep. with its own monster chasing after it.
0: She's a lot more suspicious than her husband about mm-hmm. and about the romantic ideals of humanity and. But I don't think she would disagree with him or her parents about mm-hmm. that. I think she just doesn't know. Yeah. I mean, it was shortly after that, I, I, you know, I think only one of her kids lived. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, that's right. the mini Fanny. Um, her older at, sister. Her older sister, who her and Claire left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually killed herself. Two? Also okay. killed herself. Um,
1: and then you mentioned Percy.
0: Percy then dies in the Spanish Sea.
1: Drowns. Um, Yikes.
0: And after my first content edit that I gave to you, mm-hmm. you would raised enough questions that I thought, okay, I should substantiate a few more of these. Right, because it's a
1: big claim to be, you know, it's to a big say claim. she's critiquing her husband's view of Prometheus. Because yeah.
0: I, don't, I don't know that Mary Shelley would read my take and say, this is exactly
1: right. You're we're approaching these classics, all of them, as Christians, and saying what kind of natural patterns can you this view, is, and what types can you see. Doing our best, right,
0: to say, uh, despite what the character did, what did God mean through this? So, yeah, what Joseph's brothers meant for this, God meant for this, and right. so there there can be a duality of interpretation there, right, and Just um,
1: multiple layers,
0: multiple layers. So essentially. Yeah. I think, she, I think she effectively wrote a critique um, without an answer. Right. So I think it is a tragedy. Yeah. She does a great job of saying how Victor, she wouldn't say it like this, but essentially sinned against nature. hmm He made himself sick, ran himself ragged, looking for nature's secrets, went too far. Yeah. And the monster is the result. Right. Um, I don't think she would ever allow the fact that had Victor just taken a second and communed with the monster, we would have, like, a different
1: Yeah. A different monster at the so end of the day. So she's, she's going to hate del Toro more, yeah, yeah. more than...
0: I don't think she'd like it. Hmm. In the biography I read, she, they, she quotes her diary. What sin, she wondered, could have merited such relentless punishment? The old-fashioned concept of divine retribution was not one Mary had learnt, either from Godwin or Shelley. She began, nevertheless, to wonder if Harriet Shelley's death lay at her door, and if this was the penalty that was exacted. The thought would linger and would haunt her. So my take on on Frankenstein is the monster is retribution. It is guilt for sins committed. And the horror side of that is that there is no forgiveness of sins. It's just death. One one of the scarier things I think a prophet New St. Andrews told me was, um, Viewing the horror genre as like your past growing legs, which is just like the worst.
1: Because Victor tries to leave. Victor, yeah, Victor does. Yeah. The monster behind a lot. A lot. Yeah, many times.
0: And there's uh, E. Michael Jones notes about there's something extra spooky about guilt that haunts you. When the monster says something, the effect of, uh, even on your wedding night, I'll be there. Like there's just something about sin that never goes away. Mm hmm. Yeah. Even on like intimate nights that have nothing yeah. to do with anything in the past, right.
1: what should be the happiest? He's it's there with you, right. um, which I think makes sense. I'm this is another E. Michael Jones, but the connection of a lot of uh modern horror with really not, not just violence, but also with lots of immorality you know, those two aspects seem right interwoven, even from 200 years There's ago. There's always going to be a sex scene at the beginning. Right. In those, And then she, girl usually dies yeah, in the, the shower horror scenes. Yeah.
0: She, you know, retribution happens.
1: Right. Um, but I didn't feel like when I read Frankenstein, I didn't feel like Frankenstein was campy in that way. No, 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 no. Yeah. So, no, but it's, this a, is it's, like, it's this definitely is almost, from the 1800s. Right. This is more of a purer version of, I, I feel like of horror. Yeah. It's almost. definitely, definitely older. I think it's a neat
0: moment in history.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, the intersection of America, France, and England, and France and England, and it's a great all those poets,
0: all the poets. The um, start of like
1: uh, something we think of as like a modern genre. Not my favorite book. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, but but uh, I think you did a good job in your guide of which is the goal of explaining why is this a classic? Why does it have that kind of lasting power that right. sticks in people and then you can't forget it? You're gonna have to. Get the guide or buy the copy. You can buy the guide or the classic by itself. But just looking at, you know, even famous lines, what other people said about the book itself at the time, the 21 questions, and then, of course, the meat of it and, and Jake's worldview analysis of the text. It's all good stuff. So
0: check out Canon Classics. Worldview and, editions and
1: worldview guides.
0: And fill up, fill up your shelves. They really are. Four sticks and did do the covers. Mm-hmm. I know we have rules against mentioning Stiggison's name and
1: art, at least in a positive manner, sure.
0: Yeah, but he did do all the covers, they're phenomenal. I really do think we are one step ahead of the rest with not only with the guides, but with the covers
1: too. So, um, art and content.
0: How many guides are we at, Brian?
1: Oh, see, that's the million dollar question, they're always in work. (laughs) So, So, but we we have a bunch in process, finished like worldview editions available. I think 34. Okay, with yours being the 34th. Okay. But then we, we have, have plans number...
0: though to go way up.
1: Yep. So we're at about fifty. Yeah. Uh that are in that are available of just the classics themselves. But of course doing the whole write up takes a bit of time. So we're over halfway and, and cruising towards I think forty. Yeah. So
0: highly recommend the classics, any of the classics for like book groups. If you know a schools,
1: teacher somewhere. Yeah. yeah. At the, at the conferences that we go to, the curriculum conferences, it's the kind of thing that you're forced to read these classics. You definitely want to get one of these. It's just such a fun way to start thinking about, well, to understand it on a basic level and then also to start thinking about it and applying it and getting those kind of literature bones that help yep. you know what to do, you know, in life and literature and intellectually when you run into, you know, if there's a, a dead creation on the table, do you plug the electricity in and bring it to life? Exactly. I was just about to say, and if there's one thing
0: taking away from the guide is when you go to church on Sunday and you ask forgiveness of your sins and your nation's sins, like that's...
1: Yeah. Victor Frankenstein didn't have
0: Something that. we take for granted in a way that, you know, the horror of this book is that there is yeah. no...
1: Your sins just chase you. Because Mary's parents had thrown that away for her. Right. And she continued to throw that away.
0: Anyway, Brian, thank you for coming in. Appreciate you.
1: And well, Jake, thank you for this contribution. This is uh we're looking forward to the next one, huh? Should we get you on <laughs> get you on tape? What are, what are you working on now? Crime and punishment will be out by the end of summer. Ooh, you heard it here. I'm gonna be replaying this. Punishment. <laughs> You're not gonna be replaying. I'll be saving this clip. <laughs>